This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey there, Knicks fans. How you doing? It's your boy, John of the Macri, with you for another episode of the Knicks Film School podcast. Um, so today's guest is the one, the only Knicks Film Knicks, yeah, God, it has been a long day. Knicks Film School himself, Jeffrey Ballone, um, who, of course, you could find now over at uh, Daily Knicks, part of the Fan Sided Network. Um, we have a great conversation about um, all kinds of different things, uh, current events, as, as is usually the case with us. We, we venture off into some interesting places. Um, so, uh, stay tuned for that. Um, wanted to say, uh, a couple quick things. Uh, one, just a reminder, anybody listening, um, if you are not currently subscribed to the Knicks film school newsletter, um, go subscribe to it. It's the thing that I write literally every day, every weekday at least. Um, and it comes right to your inbox. And I, I realize, you know, when I do this podcast that I take for granted that everybody knows all the different places where they can, you know, find my, my work. And, um, that's not always the case. So I want to take a moment to say something right now. Um, if you want to subscribe to it, and again, that comes free to your inbox, uh, every weekday, um, you can just go to my Twitter feed, which is JC Macri NBA. And there's a, a link right at the top to, uh, the Substack page, which, um, allows you to sign up. So go do that. Um, and the other thing I, I had to say this again, and I'm actually going to pull up the email right now. If I can, if I could find it. Um, because so I, I, this is now, I think twice over the last, um, what maybe month where I have gone on here and I have been like, Hey, you know, if you don't mind, um, review the podcast on your local, whatever thing you use to review podcasts. Um, and I, I again, get these emails from this thing called chartable and I again got one this week and it, you know, people are saying these very nice things. So I just wanted to thank, we have, um, state of NYC said something very nice about me. So thank you. State of NYC. Um, uh, what is this? Brian X Hopkins said something very nice. So thank you, Brian X Hopkins. And who is this? I need a nickname 82. Well, I need a nickname 82. You do need a nickname 
Um, although I'm guessing you were you were born in 1982. Um, thank you very much for your kind words. If you too would like to get a shout out from me, if, if I don't. I wish I knew that all of your reviews were going to get to this chartable service, but um, leave a review and give a rating. Um, unless you don't like the show, then then don't give a rating. But if you like the show and you're going to give it a high rating, then you know do that. Um, so thank you to all those people who took the time to leave a review, to give a rating, and the whole thing. I really do appreciate it. Um, as I say sometimes I'm uh, incredibly insecure and uh, don't think I'm very good at anything I do. So the fact that you apparently think that I am is is really nice to hear. Um, and last but not least, for all of the kids, the kids, the, the, the kitties, the, the, the children out there, um, Instagram is a thing. It is a social media tool, apparently, that is making its way in the world and has, has been under my nose for quite some time. Um, I am now on Instagram. Uh, actually, that's not true. I have been on Instagram for a while. Um, but I, uh, have not used it cause my wife set it up and I didn't really know what it was. Um, so, um, if you want to follow me on Instagram, I'm, I'm pulling it up right now. I am, I think you just search for JC Macri MBA, which is the same thing as my Twitter handle. Um, there's snippets from the podcast on there. There's snippets from the newsletter on there. There's all kinds of fun stuff on there. Um, so go, uh, go follow me on Instagram and, and, um, I guess like my, what do you do? Do you like my, you, you like my posts? you you watch my story. That's it. You look at my story, which reminds me, I need to update my story today. I don't really have anything to add to my story today, so I'll, I'll figure something out anyway. Um, so thank you. Do all those things. Uh, shout out to Andrew Claudio, your fantastic producer of this podcast. He is amazing. Um, go check out the Strickland also, or the Strick.land. Um, those guys are, are doing amazing work and I have a new, uh, new column up there also. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. Let's get to my conversation with Jeffrey Ballone. I've been trying to get into recently is as us Americans will call it soccer. Um, <laughs> I saw that on Twitter. I, well, the funny part, I had a bunch of my like friends from like my older friends texting me when they saw that because I was always the guy that would argue, you know, like this is going like way back, like you know the days when like Mike and the Mad Dog were the big big thing you did as a sports fan. But like you know, we would get in these heated debates about you know, like the World Cup would come around and I'd just be like, I'm sorry, I cannot get into it. I'd rather just watch a regular season baseball game. And it would be like, you know, what what is more entertaining to watch? A Yankees-Mets game or a soccer, you know, World Cup soccer game? We'd get all this stuff. And it was just us being, I guess, typical Americans. But I've been getting into it a little bit just because I do think when you look at a different sport, it sort of helps you look at the one that you spend more time writing about. So like, with basketball and soccer, you know, seems like they're totally different, but in learning more about the tactics and it, by the way, that's the other funny thing is when you follow soccer, you have to use all different terms. So instead of strategy, you use tactics and then there's like, Oh really? Yeah. There's all these different, there's all these different things. And for instance, the other one, uh, the other big thing is shape apparently. So instead what is, of saying, what is shape? Instead of saying like the formation that you use. So like if you have like four oh, defenders, okay. four midfielders and three forwards, a four, four, three, you would, you then like talk about, and by the way, this could all be wrong. Cause I've learned all this within the last like, <laughs> no, I, listen, I, well, if it is wrong, you're not going to hear it from me. Cause I don't know. 
but yeah, you have to learn all these different terms. And, um, but yeah, the point is still, I do think it's interesting kind of just seeing how, you know, it, it, all these sports are very similar in a sense. It's all about like finding your, you know, space for your talented players and how you set them up. And, you know, I do wonder if it helps when you're thinking about, it's so easy when you're watching the same thing over and over and over in the NBA to, to sometimes I think just get stuck in this tunnel vision of how certain teams play. Um, so I'm kind of hoping even with that, it, it helps you think about the game a little different when you focus on something else. That's, that's interesting. Um, I commend you. I, I do not, Jesus, how you have the, have it in you to, to get into a new sport is like, I want to give you a, a round of applause. Like the only, the only hope for me at this point is just to kind of get back into football a little bit, which I feel like I, I'm kind of falling off um, over the last year or so. But even even that is tough because you'll see like roster decisions that are like antithetical with how we under like, you know, really, really, really good players in the NFL get cut all the time. Right. Because their cap number is is whatever it is. And like. You know what the thing is when, when I realized like following the NFL was like was just so drastically different than trying to understand basketball, which was uh, when the Steelers traded Antonio Brown a couple of years ago. Right. And granted, he's like a loon. So maybe that's not the best <laughs> example. But he at the time, he was the best wide receiver in the NFL, or at least arguably so. And they traded him for whatever they like a, a fifth round, like some some negligible asset. Um, and I'm like that. It, it made me realize that my brain does not function the same way when I, 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 I can't analyze football because they, I just, I can't wrap my mind around the way it works in that sense with yeah. the salaries and everything. But the NBA, it's like, I, but that's, I like the, listen, more power to you. That's, that's what I will say. <laughs> well, more by the way, power I was really you. just throwing up a softball of, I'm going to talk soccer and then you're going to segue into the big NBA news of the day because Steve Nash oh, you know, like, his soccer skills. Well, it was all a setup for you. This is how you know that this is, this is not a, I'm not an elite podcaster, uh, friends. Um, yeah, that is the big NBA news of the day, isn't it? Huh? Well, it's funny. I think when the news broke, the, the word that was probably tr- uh, trending on NBA Twitter wasn't Nash or the Nets. It was wow. Because I'm looking at my timeline and I swear it was like, 12 tweets in a row of just wow um because it came out of nowhere and it does bring up a lot of different things because we can just talk about his fit you know for the nets we could talk about you know the whole aspect of you know hiring someone without experience versus other candidates but the, the you know the other thing is how things get reported and how our reaction to news is driven so much on what the expectations have been set. So part of me was like, I almost need to step back and, and, and ask myself like, okay, let's forget for a minute that this came out of nowhere and we didn't know about it. Like that speaks more to the reporting or how well they, they kept it close to their chest perhaps. But it's more like, it's hard. I guess I'm saying it's hard to divorce your reaction to the fact that you never heard it coming versus just saying, does this make sense at all for the Nets? Well, I think what... So <laughs> we've talked a lot about how conversation um, is generated uh, in the in the atmosphere, in, in the ether, as it were. And I think what happens when, let's say, if instead of this 
reporting, it was six weeks ago. There was, you know, somebody dropped something. Oh, Steve Nash is, is being considered as a candidate for this job. People start to test out their takes. It's like you throw you or you, you dip your toe in the water. Right. And then you see how it is. And then you put your foot in and then you go like, you know, knee and then waist and the, and it, there starts to be a consensus almost amongst like, okay, these are the talking points for this potential, this, for this storyline. Whereas when something like this, there is no time for that curation. And it's just like, I, who, <laughs> whoever happens to have the loudest voice initially is the, is the, and then it seems like now we've, we've settled on this point of like, well, look, it's a white guy who gets, um, a job that was active. He was actively apparently saying that he didn't want the job over a a black guy who um, apparently very much wanted the job. And one guy has zero experience and the other guy has like a a ton of experience working for the best in the business and the whole thing. Um, Is, is that the, um, does that mean that that's the correct I, I feel funny saying calling that a take. I, I you know what I mean, but it's like that's what has emerged, and w- w- you know what does that say about anything? Does that is that actually the thing that should have emerged? I guess maybe is what I'm asking. I don't know. I don't know the answer. Well, I think you know what it is is if you're a Knicks fan, you're gonna view the news through the prism of that, right? So, like you know, I know most people who follow. I mean, you say on Twitter are going to be Knicks fans and the con and a lot of people I follow are, are so, so the conversation is through that lens. So I think the reaction by us is, is more of like, okay, this is interesting. Let's see how people are reacting to this news relative to how they would react to the Knicks. And, yeah. um, you know, so, so I think for me, I, I was looking at it and, you know, for instance, I put out a tweet about Howard Beck of saying, you know, I, I enjoy that. Yeah, basically like, okay, the Knicks won't release a PR statement about Black Lives Matter. And then, but yeah, you know, they do different things to their hiring practices that suggest that they are at least, um, you know, thinking about the importance of, you know, what action actually does, you know, not just a statement. And And then with the the Nets, you know, and and by the way, I also picked on Harbeck because I know he's, in fairness to him, He's one of the writers that wrote the earliest about the issue in the NBA, which is a sport that's predominantly African-American. And yet there are so few head coaches that are African-American. He's actually written about it very, you know, very much before now where it's sort of like the in thing for a white journalist to write about. So <laughs> if, you, if you're not writing about it as a white journalist, you're, 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 yes. you're out of the club. So I'll give him credit to that, but I think that's the point. It's like, well, if this was the Knicks, I think he would pull on that um, theme, and and that's where we're sort of crisscrossing the like, well, you know, how how you cover different teams, yeah, you know, et cetera. But I hear your point in terms of like, you know, but no, there's a, it, it's it, but this speaks to other issues, and especially I think it's relevant to how the Knicks get talked about because there's a confluence of. Um, God, how can I put this? The, the, the actual storyline and then looking at how the same storyline would have been portrayed if it was done from a Knicks perspective, if the Knicks had done it. And 
when like it's like when you cross those streams, the conversation uh, kind of devolves. And I don't I don't know if it, it's it, it's not I don't know if that's a good thing. It doesn't I, I feel like it doesn't it doesn't further the conversation. No, it, it, right. No, it, it doesn't. It's this is where it's like, I think there's a difference between just kind of taking some pot shots and having some fun versus, you know, if right now I was tasked to write, you know, a 2000 word uh, piece about what I think of the hire, I don't, you know, I think you definitely have to mention, you do have to mention, I think the point that, you know, they, he has no experience. That is a key that is in the subtitle. Oh yeah. Um, but you know, the, the coverage aspect of it, you know, that, that would kind of be brushed aside at that point. So I, th- I think it is a matter of kind of, are you, are you just, Today, people at work, which, by the way, at work is sitting at their homes, probably, you know, you're looking at your phone and all of a sudden you see the notification about, you know, the hire and you just want to shoot out, you know, some opinion on it and be a wise ass. That That's where I think that that stuff kind of comes from, to be honest. No, you're right. And it's but what's interesting to me is that was the thing that people latched on to as opposed to to me. Maybe the more obvious thing, which is this was like to me, it's apparent. Um, the the star of the team basically picked who he wanted to be the next coach of the team, which traditional thinking in the NBA would lead you to believe that that is a bad culture thing. Whereas the Knicks just made a hire of a head coach who, you know, by all accounts, not every player gets along swimmingly with, but they did it specifically to have a, a certain way about going, you know, doing things. Um, that they wanted and like that to me, that's, that's more the interesting dichotomy between the Nets and the Knicks. Um, that said, I, I still think it's like there, you know, there should probably be some questions asked about the the interview process, maybe, or the, the process by which they went about finding the guy. And because he's, you know, it's an issue. It's to pretend like it's not an issue that the league doesn't have more black, not only coaches, but black um front office people and like just people throughout the league. It's doesn't, it doesn't add up with the numbers of the people who are of the actual players. Um, so yeah, that happened. That was a thing. Um, what were we originally going to talk about for this podcast that we've been, we've now talked for 15 minutes about things that have nothing to do with. <laughs> I think with we're, we're going to touch, talk uh, Mitchell Robinson extension. Oh, okay. So, Oh, I'm going to try something new. Um, before we get to Mitchell Robinson and his, and his potential extension, which Mr. Jeffrey Ballone just wrote about today. Uh, a quick word from our sponsor. And we're back. Okay. That felt pretty good. That That is something I'm going to start to make an effort to do to um, make my uh, wonderful producer, Andrew Claudio's life a little bit easier. Um, so Mr. Jeffrey Ballone, uh, you wrote a thing uh, today of a salary thing. Would you, when's the last time you wrote a salary article? Yeah, no, it's been a little while. So it felt good to, I was actually having a little less confidence in myself where I used to have all the CBA stuff, like just down more than I really ever should um, as someone who just does this as a hobby. But it's the cobwebs I had to work out a little bit, but it it was fun. So you you actually taught me something. So the piece uh, is on Daily Knicks, um, which uh, I don't know, maybe you should pin it. Yeah, you should. Can you pin it onto Daily Nix's uh, Twitter profile so people know where to find it, at least for the next day or so? Yeah, yeah. No, I can put it. Um, so go go check out the article. It's a very interesting article, which taught me something I did not know. Um, I had forgot that signing bonuses. Is it called a signing bonus or is it just called a bonus? Um, yeah, signing bonus. Signing bonus was a thing that you could do to art- artificially 
enhance a contract. And I got to say, um, I, I don't want to um, get too far ahead of the story, but because um, I want you to go through because it, it, it is interesting, I think, for a lot of listeners. But just to skip ahead for a half a second, the the four for 56 number Right, fifty six. Yeah, um, yep. is was always struck me as like, yeah, there's no way he's going to accept that. All of a sudden, four for what does it go up to with the bonus potentially sixty five? Yeah, all of a sudden, four for sixty five. I'm like, man, if I'm Mitch and I could sign four six, that maybe I don't know. Maybe I think about that anyway. I'm um, getting ahead of it. So, can you just give us a quick layout of of uh, yeah what you talked about? Yeah, well, no, I mean that to me that's what actually makes this so fascinating. So, I guess the quick background is for people who don't know, Mitch because he is a second round pick, he didn't sign what all first round picks sign, and that is a rookie scale contract that sets your salary for the first four years of your career. He simply signed a four year contract that had. Uh, one non-guaranteed year, which is the year coming up, and a team option year, which is the fourth year. And then by the rules of the CBA, after the second anniversary of a four-year contract is when you're first eligible to sign an extension. The, um, the Knicks cannot change his upcoming salary. So he's due $1.6 million, which is, again, non-guaranteed, but they'll obviously guarantee that. But they could... Uh, decide to um, extend him now where they essentially could wipe out that fourth year, which is only 1.8 million, inflate that salary and give him, like you just said, four years up to 65 million. Quick question. Um, Can they, because you, they cannot under any circumstances renegotiate this upcoming year's number, correct? Right. So they have to wait to the third anniversary of his contract to renegotiate. So what, what's fascinating about it is because they can't renegotiate this year, and then the rules of an extension make it where if he were to sign an extension now, he's only allowed to earn 120% of what is called the estimated um, average salary, which is set by the league and it's around $10 million. So because of that, it essentially makes it where the Knicks in negotiation can go to him. And even if he thinks he's worth, let's say, five years, 90 million or four years, 90 million, they can go to him. And and I've kind of wondered how much the term max means something to players. It shows because that that term's thrown around a lot and max is different depending on the type of player you are. I think it means more to some, some guys than others, but keep going. Yes, but they can go to him and they can essentially say, we are we are going to offer you a max contract, the most we're allowed to offer. And it's four years with, if you include a signing bonus, $65 million, which I know for, for people who like to get in these rabbit holes on Twitter, I feel like is conveniently close to around what people would want to pay for them, which is why I think it makes the conversation so fascinating. And then I guess just to, to add the final kind of catch to it is in doing so though, it means that that fourth year, rather than paying them 1.8 million, you're now paying them that season an inflated amount. So it'd be like 12 million. So the question for the Knicks is, do you want to pay him earlier, pay him that fourth year, 12 million instead of 1.8, which impacts your cap space in 2021, which is a big year for free agents. But in doing so, perhaps you get him to sign for less. So the following three years are cheaper. 
then if you, like I said, let's say this year he plays and he takes that next step and he now is demanding a much higher contract. So it's sort of the Knicks deciding when do we think we can sign him to get him cheaper to what we think he is worth. And that sort of dictates the whole decision. Yeah. And I, I don't think you mentioned it or you, you, may have said it uh, in passing, but I just want to say it explicitly. I think the big thing, the, the big part of this conversation is the cap hold um, a year from now, which is uh, that's the 190% of the current salary. I, I think. Um, well, yeah. Well, again, this is why uh, it's, it's complicated next year. So I guess this, I'll add this. So next year he's three years through his four-year deal. The yes. Knicks then have a club option. His cap hold would simply be his club option if they do nothing, which is $1.8 million. That's right. Which okay. obviously gives them tons of cap space uh, to work with. But if if they let him just play out the four years of his contract, because he's a second-round pick, a first-round pick, you become a restricted free agent off your rookie-scale contract. As a second-round pick... Once he comes off that fourth year, he's actually an unrestricted free agent. So the Knicks, if they want to make him a restricted free agent, they would have to decline his fourth year option. And then at that point, you become restricted because any player who has three or less seasons becomes restricted. So they would essentially make him restricted and then his cap hold would inflate to what you said, 190% or whatever some other team threw at him as a potential offer sheet. But, yeah. but that's the other component of it. But, and this is a situation that came up a few years ago with Nikola Jokic, who was in the same situation, second round pick signed a four year contract. Um, and the Denver Nuggets uh, did away with that fourth year because they did not want him to ever enter unrestricted free agency. And then they, they obviously signed him to a, a max contract. Um, I think the low cap hold a year from now is, significant but at the same time i don't know how significant that it maybe should be um if we're looking at the lay of the land and i look i i you wrote you mentioned Giannis's name because he's the big fish um i wonder how much it would affect the knicks thinking uh the knicks the knicks thinking um fans thinking around this issue if we kind of knew right now that like Giannis wasn't happening, like that's, that's just not, that's not in the cards. Um, and how much would that cap space a year from now um, be, a, be as, as big of a priority? Because I think it's safe to say that whatever they do this year, um, there would be a very, very easy way to go into next summer having um you know, max cap space for one max player, um, regardless of what they decide to do with with Mitchell Robinson. I don't think we anybody expects the Knicks to go out and basically load up their their books for the foreseeable future. Right. Um, right. Yeah. No, I, I think that's right. And I think to me, the other question is, you know, there's the concern of, OK, Mitchell Robinson takes the next step and then he becomes very expensive. But I think what gets lost in that argument is. Let's say you just do nothing and you basically let him play out the four years. And then at the end of four years, he is now um, being offered max contracts by some other teams. So people will, will say at that point, well, geez, you could have possibly extended him 
and you would have had him cheaper. You wouldn't have to worry about all this. You would have been fine. But what? But what's lost there is if he's getting offered max contracts after year four, that means he must have played like a max level player for at least his fourth year and possibly his third year, meaning for two years you got a near max player for a combined three and a half million dollars. So there's there's that component too of you're just if just because you waited out, it's one thing about the cap space in 2021, but it's also about what is that surplus value you might be able to get from him and then still have a chance to re-sign him in 2022. And if he's worth a max contract at that point, it, it's kind of a good problem to have because it's telling you he played really, 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 really good over these two years. And you could still offer him um, the extra the year. Right. Yeah. And you could yeah. still offer him the most money. See, the interesting, the the other interesting part of the, which is where I thought you were going for a half a second is to people who would be like, well, wait a minute, you could lose him for nothing. It begs the interesting question, which I haven't seen anybody ask yet, but I'm going to ask it right now. What would you rather have? No Mitchell Robinson at all or Mitchell Robinson on a contract that is, um, let's be fair and say slightly more than you want to pay him. Um, I, which to me gets us into the other wholly different and equally to me at least interesting part of this discussion, which Jeremy and I have touched on here and there, but which is basically like the value of a center of Mitch's archetype in today's game. And I know you retweeted uh, Jeremy had a thread on this. I'm, I'm kind of going to touch on this in an article for the newsletter on Friday. Um, That to me is interesting because I, you know, Unless you think he's going to develop into some type of a playmaking five, you know, which, you know, like a like a Bam, like a Jokic, like not to that level, but even something that approximates that. I, I don't. Do you see that in his future? No. Well, that, that's a funny thing. I think in, in making the cap arguments, you kind of jump to the extremes of, well, what if he becomes a max player? Um the idea that he's going to become that, I, I mean, I guess what, what you're alluding to. What is, world is, is that? Where what, Like, what right, does Mitchell right. Robinson, Max Player, look like? Because I, I, I see. Yeah. Well, this is where I guess I'll, I'll tie in my even my soccer theme earlier, where, like I said, uh, you're watching that while I'm learning soccer more and learning how the, the tactics or strategy work there. It's just that reminder in my head of whatever we say is quote, today's game is for a player as young as Mitchell Robinson, potentially a game of the past. We don't totally know yet how the league might evolve based on the trends that have now been set and written in NBA blogger stone of this is a smart way to play basketball. That could change. And I'm not here to tell you if I if I knew exactly how that was going to change, then hopefully I'd have a, a better paid job in basketball. So I can't tell you what it is. <laughs> but I guess what I'm saying is the idea that you have just because he's not a center that fits today of like, OK, he can shoot a shoot to three. You know, you can uh, play make a little bit with them. It doesn't mean that someone who just has sort of some obvious big man skills of interior defense and I think the potential of being, you know, an elite rim runner, it doesn't mean that that can't become extremely valuable and extremely valuable to you if that's how your system and how your team is built for those 
skills to be maximized. And I'm, I'm, so ha- I'm happy be, you said that. That would be my, I guess, best argument for why he could become valuable and that gets lost is we can't necessarily just compare it to what is some guy, you know, who right now is a trendy big man in the league making on a contract from two years ago. Um, you know, I, I think you got to be careful in doing too much of that, even though I totally understand you, you use comparables. That's usually how you come up with with what these guys are worth. Yeah, I just uh, I'm look again. If I could foresee what's happening two, three, five, ten years in the future, I, I wouldn't be doing this. Um, but I just, yeah, unless, unless the the league on average like becomes a worse shooting league from the perimeter, I just I struggle to imagine a world where the value of a, of a guy like Mitchell Robinson, who again can switch out. We have seen him switch out. He can he can do it, but Mitchell Robinson switching out is different than let's say a Bam at a bio, who you're one you're like oh good I want that guy on um you know name name your who uh, Giannis or or even like Chris Middleton right I want Bam on on Chris Middleton right, right there like if Mitch is out there on him or just name your player you're like okay. I feel like I could survive this possession. Those are two very different things. So it's, it's, it, and I'm, I'm, it's funny what you said before a minute ago about, you know, the idea of like building your team around him. To me, even though, as you just explained, the, like they have two more years if they want to make this, this decision, I think in a lot of ways they need to decide this right now, which is to say, okay, we're either going to figure out how to build our team around this guy on both ends, because again, he offers a very specific and very unique elite skill at both ends, his shot blocking and his um, verticality on, on offense and his ability as a lob threat, like either go all in on that and figure out what you want to do contract wise. That is going to make the most sense for you, whether it's, you know, the extension this season, extension next season, whatever. Or if you're like, we don't feel like this is the best, most sustainable way to build a team with the direction the league is going, you know, and this is the conversation that is going to start happening more and more on Twitter, maybe between now and the draft. And if he doesn't get traded on draft night, maybe beyond that, but like, is there ever going to be a better time to move him um, than now? And that's, that to me is the interesting question. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I think people, they don't want to be wrong on Mitch because I think anyone, whether you're a Knicks fan or just like a hardcore hoops junkie, when you're wa- you watch certain games of him and you say to yourself, "Wow, th- this this could be special." You, I think everyone sees that, and he's so young. You don't want to be wrong, and sometimes I think it's made people reluctant to be, um, you know, totally off what his ceiling could be. Um, we, we really could be talking about a guy who, who doesn't, you know, develop that much better than what he is. Like he becomes a little more polished, but he's by no means someone you build a team around. And, and honestly, I don't think he is that. I think he's more, you know, like we saw at the Clippers where, you know, they had guys like, you know, and I'm not saying they're the, the exact type of player, but like Deandre Jordan or whatnot, where they sure, get yeah. paid a lot because again, they fit that team. Um, I think that's that's what you know he he could be in terms of the decision that you have to make now. Are you saying that more of from a cap standpoint or more from 
the type of players you get to put around him, do you think it should impact your decision in that regard? Um, yeah, it's, it's, I think it's, I think it's both. Um, and I also think the other thing that influences it is that, you know, they're in an interesting position in, in this draft, um, where I, you know, I don't, um, I know, I know, you know, studying these, these draft prospects is not, is not of the, of the thousand things that you make time for any given week, <laughs> knowing draft prospects like the back of your hand is not one of them. Um, but there is an argument that the two best guys who could be available to the Knicks at their at their pick are both guy are both bigs. Either this this kid out of USC, uh, Anyeku Kongwu, who is a, is going to be a center at the next level, or Obi Toppin, who um, is a he's a he's a four. But I I don't I don't know that you could play him a, alongside a, a anything resembling a traditional big. I think you need to play him next to you know, a, a floor spacing guy um, who can maybe um, also be a little bit more versatile on the defensive end in any case. Um, so that, that's kind of why I said what I said before. Like, I really do think that this decision is, is coming. It's, it's, it's here. It's, it's here now. Um, and I wonder what kind of conversations are happening within the front office. Cause I, you know, personally have no idea. Um, if I, if I had to guess, I think, that they would be fine including him as their centerpiece prospect, young player, however you want to define him, um, in a deal for you know a, a star player that they want. Um, to me, that that's I think how they would look at it. So if they ended up drafting you know another big, it gives them that depth um, you know to make that move. And again, this is where we always get into you know do you draft the best player? Or not? I mean, the Knicks are obviously not <laughs> ready to compete next year, and, and you're drafting a kid that's going to be pretty young. Um, you might be able to draft a player at 19 years old who plays the same position as Mitch, and over two years decide is that player, um, you know, which which of the two players are you moving forward with? Which do you maybe use in a trade? Um, again, if you make to me, it's like this is why it's important to make the right decision in all different areas. If you sign a player to a contract that makes sense, then you can also later trade him because the contract makes sense, which I guess maybe is the argument of if you could get him on a team-friendly extension now, maybe that's why you do it. You don't risk that maybe next summer you have to pay more for him as a restrict if you make him a restricted. Um, and it's the same thing on a draft. I mean – we harp as Knicks fans about their lack of development for for the whole slew of guys. But at the end of the day, guess what? If Kevin Knox was just good, if he just could hit a shot, that would change a lot of the stuff we talk about. I mean, you know, it's easy to, I, I know there are issues with the way the rotation has worked and whatnot, but to me, that's because we're essentially saying, it's no different. You're you're a teacher, so you can relate to this. It's no different. There's some kids that, yeah, they need the perfect environment, the perfect nurturing, and then you can get the best out of them. Just say it. Some 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 kids just suck. That's okay. You can just say <laughs> it. I, I'm the teacher. I could I could say it. I'm sure your no, wife I, would would not disagree. Her being a former yes. teacher as well. Yes, um, exactly. But look, you see what I'm saying? It's just I like do. so. I think as much as we criticize the Knicks for not properly developing some of these guys, they also haven't had them. If you're gonna draft someone at eighth and I'm, and we're all hoping Walt Perrin makes an impact here based on what he's, what he's seemingly done in Utah. Um, if you get the right kid, 
it's going to be an asset to you and a value. So I, I just think you got to keep making those right decisions versus worrying about putting yourself in a corner where you're deciding something before you necessarily need to decide it. Um, I, th- I think that's very well said. Uh, let's take uh, one more quick break and then uh, we'll bring it home. Okay, we're back. Um, look at me remembering to do ad breaks. It only took two years, two years, folks, of doing this podcast before I remembered to uh, do this, uh, proving that uh, anything is possible. Uh, shout out to KJ. Um, just to, I wanted to real quickly put a cap on your point before i think the previous regime and i always feel funny saying that because the the gm has not changed um but i do feel like there was a difference i think the previous regime so often operated from a position of um this is going to sound weird because they this is the team that traded Kristaps Porzingis, but I don't feel like they were proactively like forward thinking when it came to the more important things, except except other than the one really important thing. Um, oh, that's what we were going to talk about today. The KP trade, which we don't need to. Yeah. Um, but like they were just they were you like you never got the sense that they were on top of the shit that they were supposed to be on top of. Um, and which is maybe a good um transition to we could just touch on this quickly we have not talked since they made their coaching hires because it has been more than one um tibbs and now um kenny payne and johnny bryant and um and uh oh my god woody mike woodson um so i'll say this it feels like this front office is being measured and taking their time and being diligent what what have your what are your impressions been of how they've been kind of going about things over the last uh, the last month or so. Yeah, I, I don't I don't see how you can really complain about it. I mean, um, I, I, to me, it seems like the main concern is that um, worldwide West, which I always feel funny calling a, a grown man that. So we'll, we'll call him <laughs> William Wesley. Um, <laughs> that just made my day. Um, I think there's concern that he is like injecting too much of his influence on some of these hires, meaning he basically was like, let's get a couple of my guys on the staff and paid. Um, That's what I'm sensing is some of the concern, but it's like, you know, I don't, I just don't see how you argue with the hires that they've made when each one comes with a a pretty long, you know, extensive um, resume of, you know, success in their respective areas So, you know, my viewpoint is, yeah, I I get that, you know, I I get that maybe with Thibodeau, he couldn't bring in his whole own staff. I get that there appears to be some priority on bringing in guys that have connections around a league that maybe they'll some reason try to use that for free agency. But it's just like, even independent of all that, they brought in a lot of guys just known to do really well in both development and coaching. So I just can't see how you can be upset about it. Yeah. And I don't know um, if I said if I have said it explicitly on this podcast or maybe I intimated it in a a newsletter. Um, Really, it it really just does all run together at this point. But I I had heard um, a while back um, that they they really had trouble getting assistant coaches for Fisdale staff because everybody was kind of like, well, we're going to be gone in two years. 
Um, and you know, you could, you could always pay money. Um, but I like a Johnny Bryant who is, I think quite clearly a future head coach in this league. And like a, a Kenny Payne who, you know, um, I think it was uh, Kyle Tucker who came from the athletic came on this podcast a few weeks ago and said he's, he has, he could have had any number of mid major head coaching jobs. And he was just kind of waiting for the big job to open up for like guys like that are not, they're not going to you know detour their careers unless they feel pretty good about what they're getting into. And I feel like, and again, that doesn't mean diddly, you know, poo, but it it's, these are smart people that have gotten had really good careers thus far, and they are now entrusting those careers to, you know, whatever it is, Leon Rose and and uh, let's say William Wesley are, are building. <laughs> so that's you know, so that's a good sign. Um, I'm, I just you know we, we were, when we were breaking we, we were you were saying for a second how we it's been uh, how many six months into game almost. Yeah, which is by the way, me not realizing we were breaking and still just talking. Oh, I love no, but I love it. Uh, well, it's a, it's me and you, um, but it's it's um it's good. I'm just really interested to see. We're like not that far away from seeing this again, and I don't know. Maybe will they? Do you think? Do you think they'll have TV cameras or some kind of footage or something from the the OTA stuff that's supposed to happen later this month? I, it would seem so to me. It's like at this point, you need to package anything you can and, <laughs> Literally and sell it, right? <laughs> you know, for for the revenue. So, you know, I w- I would think we would get some glimpse of that. Otherwise, I guess. And luckily, the Knicks social team has has really been, <laughs> been a killing lot better. It. Yeah, they've been really doing great. So, and I shouldn't say a lot better and suggest an old social team was bad. It, it seems like the powers that be are giving them more flexibility. But um, otherwise, I think it would just be yeah, stuff that you'll see through them. But um, yeah, but yeah, you're right. Other than that, you know, we don't we don't know. I mean, December 1st was like an optimistic guess. I, I, I mean, think it's going to be Christmas. I think it'll be Christmas. Yeah, I think I think it'll be Christmas. Um, actually, um, uh, Ray, who uh, was on the, the call in show a few weeks ago, um, he uh, sent me a Twitter uh, response this morning because I had suggested in my newsletter, I think yesterday a, a possible maybe they would push the, the draft back to November 5th but with the possibility that the election could still be undecided and all of the country's attention focused on that for the you know however long it takes maybe the NBA um, doesn't want to lump in their draft and opening a free agency in the first week of November maybe they who knows maybe they push it back even a little more or they try to get it done you know, before the end of October. Um, but e- either way, um, I, I, I'm just, I'm fascinated. I, I want to see it's I'm at the point now where I just, I like, I want to see basketball again. I want to see Nick's basketball again, because we've talked so much about Thibodeau and like how he's going to come in and change this and change that. And he's, people are going to take things more seriously. And it's like, I want to see it because I think for as much as, last summer didn't turn out the way we wanted it to. I know personally, I expected to see just like a better brand of basketball last season. And it, I didn't feel like we got that. I felt like it was, it was I felt like it was lipstick on a pig um, basically. And I, I'm, I want to see um, like, I, again, they don't need to be better, but I just want to see a different brand of basketball than what we have seen here for really most of the last, you know, 
20 years to, to use an overused phrase. Yeah, no, it, it's true. It's funny because I think as Knicks fans, we spend so much time defending at times the team against different narratives and whatnot. But, you know, you definitely can't just lose sight on the obvious thing of, I mean, it has been seven seasons without the playoffs. And um, yeah, I mean, we just want some, we're not asking for much, right? Like just give us, I mean, I always said the team <laughs> that not. actually gets, you know, and this year, who knows what the fans and all that, but the team that gets the garden the most juiced up is always that up and coming team. Like, it's funny because you think New York, it's like, oh, they're, they're supposed to be like the big favorites. It's like, no, like, you know, those Nick teams, like when Amari first came and he was playing like an MVP those those couple weeks, it's like in that first month. Um, or even you could listen, let's call it like it is the first month of KP in 2000. Um, oh, was that 16, 17? No, right no. no, it was Seven, later than that. Yeah. It was 17, 18. Yeah. Um, yeah, those are the real fun teams because you feel like you're part of something special and it's like you're giving, um, you know, a, a fan base that is just ready to embrace a team, just like a taste of something. And it's just more exciting when the expectations are low and your team exceeds them, no matter which team you follow, because we're so used to our teams letting us down. And I think that's where maybe you're alluding to here is, you know, it would just be fun for once it's not saying the team has to go out and win 50 games, but they go into next year. Everyone's got them winning 35 and they win 42 and they're fun. And there's things that we weren't counting on that turn out better than we thought. You know, the stuff, just anything that kind of exceeds expectations. I think that's that's what you're you're kind of asking for there. Yeah. And I, I think it's and I think it's exceeding expectations in a way that seems sustainable. And I think that's the big thing. Like, I don't know how you feel, but like they could have ripped off se- like seven or eight games in a row. Like they had the four game winning streak under Mike Miller, right? Last season. And then they lost that double overtime game in Atlanta. Like even if they had won that game and they had won another couple, like with that core, like there was, I was never going to be like, Oh, this is awesome. I can't wait to get to the next season to see this, you know, group back again. Like that's, like even if they're next season, if they're like ten and fifteen, but like RJ is playing like a borderline all star, and let's say they sign like Van Fleet and he's playing really well, like that's like that would be cool. Um, and I, I agree with you; it, it wouldn't really take much more than that. Um, last thing before I get you out of here, I don't know if you paid attention on Twitter. I did my my Will Smith face um, bracket for like most Will Smith face Knicks moment of the last twenty five years. Um, Starks two for 18 in game seven was the winner. Um, do you agree with that? Do you have another, another one that you would like to crown as the champion? I, I didn't get a chance to ask you about this. So actually I missed that. What was the final two that it came down to? It was two for 18, um, versus, Oh Jesus. I have to look it up. I, th- was I th- it Char- it was, no, it was either. So it was either Charles Smith game or, um, eight points in in eight point nine seconds. I'm going to tell you right now what it was because obviously they were on different sides of the uh, of the bracket. Yes, it was. So no, sorry, two for eighteen defeated eight points in eight point nine seconds in the final four. It was that's it. It was two for eighteen versus the versus the finger roll. That's what it was. Ah, uh, yeah. You know what? Those 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 would probably be up there. I mean, it's funny. I still think that year with the the suspensions. I I'm just thinking like, what when I was a kid did I get the most upset about? Uh, this the year with the heat and the suspensions. Funny enough, I I really uh, I know that's not quite like the the same type of moment, but um, 
No, there were a I, I lot of people who were behind for, that. And that, were, that was, a, 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 I got to say, the one comment I got a ton of was I had the suspension seated too low because I think I had them seated as like a teen. Yeah, I had them seated 13th and they it lost out, I think, in this third round to the KP trade. Okay. All right. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I mean, those are all the all the right ones. I mean, even the two for 18, I mean, game six, you know, it's like that came down, you know, to the final few possessions too. So it's like, um, you know, I, I used to always think like, yeah, Starks hits the late shot in game six, then you don't ever have to worry about how many he makes at 18 in game seven. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I think the finger roll game, like being at the fact that it happened to Ewing and I remember at the time, um, you know, the narrative against Ewing was so tough on him. And I remember just feeling like both doubly frustrated as a, a fan losing, but also like, oh, here we go again. Another thing against Ewing. So I don't know. It's tough to say which of those, but th- those are definitely, the, I think, the right ones up there. But I guess you got to put two for 18 just because he makes a couple of shots. They they literally win he, the NBA title in 94. He makes one out of every three shots he takes. They they win the championship. Yeah, I, I think that's the right winner, but they I'm happy they were the... They were the final two. Um, all right, JB, I told you I'd get you out of here in 45 minutes. We've gone a little over 50. Um, you are a, a gentleman and a scholar. Um, I, hold on. I can't let you go before I do this. Tell the folks at home where they could find you. Uh, well, by now they should, if they've listened this long to, to me ramble with you, then I think they would know. Um, but by the way, as we're saying this, I'm rewatching the Stark shot in game six. Oh, my God. Of course you are. One. And I guess what I'm thinking to myself is if you said to Knicks fans, and, and maybe this is an age thing because of social media, but I feel like if you said the Roy Hibbert block, more people would recognize that than if you said the Olajuwon block. And I'm kind of wondering, is it because game seven was so bad that that play just gets sort of erased? It's because there I mean, was no, because it's because there was a tomorrow, the Hibbert block, there was no tomorrow. Yeah, I guess so. But it's like there was a championship. (laughs) No, listen, it's it's the closest they've they've come to a championship in the last 40 years or whatever. It's been 40. No, I know. I guess I'm just thinking like that odds of, um, you know, I always say basketball is the one sport where me or you could actually play in an NBA game and the the defense would say, well, we're just not going to cover that guy. And you could actually hit a game-winning shot because, you know, we've all hit a shot. You couldn't, like in baseball, go up in a key moment and get a hit. You would strike out every time. This is true. And it's like, that's why I just feel like that's Starks. He had that one, all I had to do was one shot in that play. All right, anyways, you got me all going on this. Uh, I was about to say, you're really, this is, this is <laughs> painful. Um, I should not have brought it up. Um, so, yeah, yeah. T- where can they find you? So Daily Knicks uh, FS, because a fan cited, is on Twitter. And and I'm trying to make that account now where it's similar to the old Knicks Film School account. If you use notifications, I keep the tweets down there. So it's mostly just the news. And then also DailyKnicks.com. Um, go, go, go follow Daily Knicks and, and read there read their stuff it's uh because god knows i don't have the energy to write about all the shit that you do um okay uh this has been great uh everybody at home thank you for listening to another episode of the next film school podcast we will be back with you with another episode uh, my usual sunday show um which i guess might be coming at you on tuesday because of labor day i don't know i'll figure that out but it's coming at you soon with um jeremy cohen all right um talk to you soon giddy up 